0: What's up guys welcome to episode three of the coaches collective um today we've got the pleasure of sitting down with mr brian kite Um, and if you're a coach and you haven't heard his stuff you're probably living under a rock bk is the founder of the daily discipline newsletter and podcast bk how are we doing today man
1: we're doing good it's good to be with you guys and uh uh I fired up to episode three, right? I feel like like, you know, that's baseball reference, different sport, right? We're in the cleanup spot. Uh right. I don't know that I ever batted in the cleanup spot because I don't think I was that good at baseball, but <laughs> I'll take it here and I'm ready to, you know, throw some heaters and let's see if we can get on base.
2: Let's, let's get floor.
0: Awesome. Hey, well, obviously, well, what we're trying to do here at the coaches collective, you're a guy that was on top of our list that we we had to get on um, when it comes to Discussion surrounding culture, leadership, discipline. So once again, thank you. Um, And we will, with that, we're going to jump right in, man. Um, Like I said, throw some heaters here. So to kick it off, and it's something that we've talked about before and we've heard you talk about recently, um, explain to our listeners, number one, the difference between obedience and discipline, Mm. and, and why do you think it's more important to have a disciplined team over one that's obedient?
1: yeah so um, one my, one of my big missions uh, and and it it became one of my missions. Um, you know, I think the best missions in life are the ones that we realize have always been part of our mission. We just didn't have the clarity to express it in our earlier years, and I think that's one of the cool parts about life is you know, yeah, even my content, like when I do stuff, you know, I, very rarely, I mean extremely. Right? I've written seven hundred and eighty whatever it is daily discipline emails in the last three years, right? every Monday through Friday. And I I don't think I've ever written an email where I thought to myself, I'm going to introduce something to these people they've never even heard of before. I don't think I've ever thought of that, right? Because number one, my ego is not like that. Number two, everything that I'm writing is something somebody else has already done. I'm just expressing it in my words, right? And number three is I I think generally speaking, like if you look around at people, like almost everybody is good, Mm. I like, I, And it's a huge part of my, like, almost everybody is good. Now, there's four of us on this call right now. We're good dudes, but we've done bad stuff, mm-hmm. right? We, we're good dudes, but we've made mistakes, right? We've said the wrong thing or whatever. The impulses got the best of us, all the rest of this. So one of my missions, I think discipline fits into this. I believe fundamentally everybody underneath knows they need discipline. But I think they associate it with the wrong things because of how they were taught it or it was ingrained in them, or what they absorbed growing up. Okay, and so I, I think one of my missions is to redefine discipline and help people rediscover it for what it really means. Yeah. And I grew up playing sports, you know, like you know, you guys and most listeners, right? Um, you know, I grew up in a family, and 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 let me ask you this question before I get into to, to discipline and obedience. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question what's the template that most, and let's just talk coaches right now, okay? What's the template most coaches use for leadership? What reference do most coaches use when they think, <laughs> all right, we're, we're, what's, who are the best leaders in the world? How do the best people lead? Like what's the template that they use for leadership structure? Well, I mean, okay, I mean, well, what do you guys say? What, who, what's the template that a coach is going to use for? All right, how do we lead? What, what's my blueprint for how we lead? Who, who do coaches look at? for what's a good leader do
2: i think i think from from my perspective at least a lot of coaches are saying x y like coach x y or z has had success and i'm gonna just copy and paste nick saban i'm gonna copy and paste Dabo sweeney and regardless of whether or not my personality matches their personality or my ability matches their ability i'm
1: going to do what they do of course And that's, that's easy, right? Is we're going to copy other coaches that we think are successful. And the best version of doing that is you copy one guy, right? I'm going to mimic myself after Nick Saban. I'm going to mimic myself after Urban or Dabo or whoever, right? Belichick. That's, that's the best version of what I would call a very average approach. Mm. The worst version of that is I'm going to copy all the best stuff from all the coaches of the stuff that I like. Mm. And I end up with a Frankenstein coaching philosophy, right? Okay. Just came up with that. That actually works, by the way. Frankenstein coaching philosophy. That actually yeah, literally like yeah, just done. in my head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends up being a monster that doesn't work. But if people aren't looking at coaches, right? If we take the coaching profession overall, what does the coaching profession model itself after? What other profession do they model their leadership and structure to? The military.
2: For
1: sure. right? That's just what they do. And by the way, it's what people do in business as well. Right hierarchy reporting chain of command you know the military existed we, we got to remember this guys the military has existed for all of humanity yeah okay sports have existed for like a the, in, in our context for like a hundred years right 50 years 30 years in the context, you know so military has this long history And sports has this very short in business as well especially this kind of business like the the industrial revolution very short history so the model that most people pull for leading and instilling and teaching things like discipline is a military model but the problem is that the military model works on compliance and obedience Mm, right it the military model wasn't built on creativity freedom of expression. It wasn't, it wasn't built on letting people make decisions on their own, So true. which is the model we need in sports. Mm. Right. So the difference is this. Obedience is following someone else's authority. There's a time and place for that. Would you all agree?
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I, like we in the pre-show, right. My, my four-year-old son was just on here talking with us at four. I want my son to be obedient at certain times and in certain environments. Like we're not having a conversation of you making your own decisions, and we have the, we have a talk all the time, right? It, we're not debating this. Like this isn't your call. This is a moment for obedience, right? But but my son is going to grow up, and he's going to be my age one day. And when he's my age, at thirty eight, I don't want him to be obedient. Mm. He's got to be his own dude. Mm. In that moment, what do I want him to be? I want him to be disciplined and, and this is the difference between discipline and obedience. Obedience is you are following somebody else's authority. Discipline, you are making your own choice.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Now, like all things in life, there's crossover. <clears throat> can you be disciplined and obedient at the same time? Of course you can, right? It's when I'm going to follow your authority by choice. Yeah. Which we all do, Totally. right? But are there times where disobedience is the discipline choice. Yep. Yeah. When what? When authority is unethical, when authority is immoral, when authority is doing the wrong thing. I mean, you look at like, look at the social history of our country, right? Like this was civil disobedience. Like it's the discipline choice, right? Like when, when, you know, World War II, when you look at, you know, what the Germans did, all we needed was some people to be disciplined enough to be disobedient, To the commands of so when you look at like the biggest atrocities, the biggest atrocities happen when what? When somebody is overly obedient and under disciplined. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. So Mm -hmm. like again, we Mm -hmm. elevated this above coaching pretty quick here, right? But but now let's bring it back to coaching. Right. I coached. I played. When I coached, if I had players who had too much obedience and not enough discipline, here's what happened: they played slow. And when things got tense and the pressure was on, they looked to the sideline for what to do. Yep. And we got our ass kicked and we lost. Mm. (laughs) Right. Right. Like I played with guys like that. They didn't have discipline. They had too much obedience. And as soon as it came, like, Hey, you got to make like, this is why teams break down a two minute drill. Like in two minute drill, like I need you to know what to do. Mm -hmm. Yep. So why Tom Brady's the goat? Like, yep. The, the, the dude isn't obedient in the traditional sense. He's disciplined in the best mm-hmm. sense. And so he just plays faster than everyone when he's probably the slowest person on the field, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I was watching an old video of like Albert Hainsworth the other day. And I'm like, dude, I'm pretty sure he is faster than Tom Brady is, right? Oh, like, yeah. you know, so anyway, so that, that's the key, right? And then you can, you can stretch it, right? There's, there's, what do we associate with discipline? What do people associate, players associate? And frankly, even coaches bring into this obedience, compliance, and punishment, yep. right? And then, and then rigidity would be the other piece. And to an extent, obedience and, and compliance are rigid in nature. But if you say discipline, kind of like the word accountability, no one's, I was joking with the staff the other day, like no one's ever been held accountable for scoring 50 points in the winning touchdown in overtime. Like you don't get held accountable for that, right? You Mm. get held accountable for not doing your job. Mm, You get held accountable for mistakes. You get held accountable for not scoring enough points. We don't hold people accountable for doing good things. And so when we use the word accountability, we're triggering all this negativity. And we do the same thing with discipline. We tell teams, be disciplined. And then the experience of discipline, literally I hear coaches say, discipline is doing what you're supposed to do, the way you're supposed to do it, the way you were told to do it. Mm. Chris, when you wake up in the morning, is that what you dream of? Like, do you dream of going, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, the way I was told to do it, when I'm told to do it, how I was told? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Well, because you're a grown man. Right. Like, you don't live like that. Right. And so, like, to to pitch that to a 16-year-old, good luck. Right. Right. Like, if you got a 16-year-old who's buying into it, that says more about the kind of dude that guy already is than what we put into him. mmm So, I want to train athletes and I want to train people, coaches, myself, my kids, how to make their own decisions and then teach them standards, teach them principles, teach them, right, teach them how to align with a team, teach them how to, you know, when it's appropriate, right? Like choose team over self, right? But then also, and I think this is kind of the counterintuitive side is, you know, you can talk about choosing team over self all day. But I'm more interested in looking at coaches. Hmm. And This is where it starts to get tricky, right? I'm looking at coaches, and I'm like, "Hey, my man, I hear you talking team over self to this to this 16 year old, this 18 year old, this 20 year old. Show me how you do that in your life." Yeah, wow. I mean, have that, you that's cut your I mean, have you cut your salary in half right. to, to get more resources to these guys? Absolutely. That's one of the things that I think really frustrates
3: us as we kind of look into the world of you know just and we'll and we'll use it anecdotally for football is like you have these coaches who are building standards as the foundation of the culture of their teams. Mm -hmm. And then they can't even live up to those standards themselves. Like, why do you think that that is?
1: Because the coaching profession has become um, exceptional at preaching the finer points of discipline without displaying them.
3: Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah. Mm. And that's part of my mission of, look, I love coaches, but nothing hurts me more. It's why I got to do this nothing hurts me more than when somebody is teaching a great principle that needs to be understood, but their credibility and the confidence in that person is too low because they don't display it.
2: Mm, yeah,
1: But, but that's politics as well, right? It's like, that's why, it's why people don't trust politicians because we know that they're saying things they don't do. Okay. And so, you know, when a coach comes out and wants credibility because they're the head coach, I don't believe in that mm. because right now for you listening to me, you know, I work with you know I got my shirt on right here. Like I'm you know this is a this is a pro baseball team and is they I work with pro baseball teams and NFL teams and college football teams and that have won national championships. Okay, so you listen to me because the the the, the people who are the best in the world at this, they trust me to advise them. So you listen to me.
3: Mm.
1: You would never do that. Like mm, that's, wild. Mm, mm. that's wild. That's mm. wild. So if you walk out and go, I'm the head coach. Do what I say. Listen to me why does your title mean anything? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know who you are, right? That's an earned quality, not a title. Because if it's a title, well, shoot, I'm CEO. Do what I like. <laughs> no way. I would never ask that. So, same thing, right? Like, I have to earn that credibility and who I've worked with. And, I, and I, when I'm with a client and I'm, when I'm on, you know, a, a show like this, I put myself on the hook first, right? Because I I don't want to teach a principle to you that I'm not living myself. Mm -hmm. And so here's how I think of this. I do not have credibility with you until I have earned it by bringing value to you in a way where you are better because of what I have said and done here, Mm right? Right you don't care how good I was with the staff I worked with this morning that you weren't there for. You don't care about, you know, work with Urban Meyer or Chris Peterson or or anybody else. You don't care about that because my work with them doesn't mean anything to you unless what I do with you makes a difference for you. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm just just bragging and name dropping. Mm. Like I've worked, you know, we worked at San Jose State, you know, for three years and they went one and 11, one and 11, you know, three and eight. And then this year they go six and oh, like I love the work with the one and 11 dudes. Mm. I love that because mm. like, it's not about cred. It's about helping that team be the best it could possibly be. And then when it gets the hardest, they're at their best, but that's because it was valuable to them. So I'm always on the hook for value to the person in that moment. And I think as coaches, we need to stay in that spot. Yeah, It's not about my record. Right. It's not about, here's why I got in the game, guys. I got into the game because I saw too many coaches when I was coming up and I had, I didn't have any like, like bad experiences or bad people, but here's what I had. I got a lot of great coaching, but I also got a lot of very average coaching. And the average coaching that I got, it tended to come from, and then obviously in this space, it was all guys, right? It, it was guys who had been coaching for a long time, 15 plus years, who were career 500 or worse, who had won almost no championships or none at all. And they had big egos who were command and control guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as a player, I looked at that and I go, hold on a second. I'm trying to compete. I'm trying to be great. I'm trying to like, win ch- I, 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 you know, <clears throat> I'm young and I have my, my flaws, but I want to be great. Mm. And then here's a guy who's never won anything in 20 years, and he's got a big ego, and he's telling me, "Shut up, players play, coaches coach." coach. You're right. Yeah. It's just like I looked at that, and I'm like, that that can't be the bet. Like that can't. How can we be career 500, 20 years in, and have a big ego? How could that happen? Like I was blown away. And you know, and I was 20 at the time when I saw this, right? And so that's, that was where the spark for this got in of like, who, and my idea was this, who's coaching the coaches? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, if we believe in coaching players hard, love that, love it. Who coaches you hard? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like who rips you when you have a bad day on the field? Who rips you when you lack empathy for an athlete? Mm. Who shows you your game film and says, what was that effort? (laughs) You know better than that. Look at what you just did with this parent. How could you possibly expect to be a championship coach with that level of effort with the parent? Yeah. That'll never work. Like, who does that for you? Amazing. That's amazing. And, you know, again, if you don't believe in doing it with the athletes, well, then don't do it for you. Mm -hmm. But if you believe that the athlete needs that to get that set of eyes, then my next question is, who is that for you? Where do you get it, and are you training your craft as hard as you expect your athletes to train their craft, yeah. and not just by yourself grinding?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: No, well, no, BK, anyway, we'll, not that I have strong opinions on that stuff, but you know, just, you know, we love it. We can go all day on that.
2: Yeah, we, we can talk about this all day. I, think I feel like one, I need Venables
1: get back coach right now on the sideline. That's bring it. him on here.
2: Bring him on. Well, BK, we, one of the things that obviously stood out so much to us was was this idea of obedience versus discipline, but I want to zoom in on kind of the individual level Mm because you you talked about coaches. Let's, let's talk about athletes though. Like there is a constant supply of young men who Mm -hmm. desperately want to get on the field, who will do anything to gain the approval of these coaches. That's how you get a big ego. If you're a 500 coach, like we, we have all felt that power dynamic, even as young coaches that, you know, this kid wants to play and I hold the keys to the kingdom. And so I do have power over him in that, in that interaction. And so one of the things that I really wanted to, to get your perspective on was, and this is something I really struggled with as a player, as somebody who always tried to do kind of what I was told and, and always compete as hard as I could in whatever I was asked to do. But then I went from that compliant kid who was, you know, 22 years old playing college football and all of a sudden I'm an adult. And having to transition, like in some ways, it was nice for somebody to hand me my workout card. And I went and did the workout as hard as I could. And sometimes it was kind of nice for somebody to tell me, this is what you need to eat. And then I'm an adult. And now I have to internalize all these things. And I don't have the tools in my toolbox to actually be a disciplined person. And those first years out were really hard for me. Like, how do we prepare these kids to not just listen to what we say, but build those tools in their toolbox to be successful people beyond our program?
1: Well, I mean, I there's there's a lot in there, um, and you know, I think the first part is you know credibility building, um, vulnerability disclosure. Um, you know, I was super disciplined as an athlete, and not even remotely disciplined as a student. Mm. Yeah, not in high school, not in college, right? Um, and I wasn't a I, I wasn't a poor student. I was a bad student. Right, like I, I could afford to be a bad student because I was smart enough to get by without having to try hard. I was one of those guys. Right? Everybody is who they are. I was smart enough in college. I didn't have to try hard to get grades that passed. That was just who I am, okay? Um, looking back, <clears throat> it, you know, it's not so much that I missed opportunity, although I did. Um, and I did okay afterward. I just never cared about the grade. Um, but what I really missed was I missed the development. And so, Dan, like you were saying, right? Like, I didn't develop as much as I could have for myself. Yeah. In those four years of college, I lost ground my first few years out of college because I I did the catch up development yeah. in the real world, right? Yeah. And it was more painful than it needed to be. So that's number one. But here's the second piece for me. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever done Strengths Finders. Uh, there's the book called Strengths Finders. None yep. those. Yeah. I, I just looked at it the other day. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, it gives you like your top five strengths. And then now it, like you're supporting, you supporting fives, so you get 10, there's like 36 or something like that. Discipline is like 34th or 35th out of 36 strengths for me. Mm. So for me, discipline is a completely learned ability. Mm. I, like I barely have an ounce of natural discipline in my body, mm. which I think is really cool because for me, I don't view discipline as my lead. I view discipline as the, the accelerator for all the stuff I'm good at right? Like I'm not naturally good at discipline, but learning discipline has made me better at all the stuff I am naturally good at, which Mm. is what I view it is, right? A disciplined act is its own reward as long as it's pointing in the direction of where I want to be going. Yeah. So, you know, I think a couple pieces, Dan, about, you know, again, with that context, I think a couple pieces about what you're describing that makes sense. You know, if we think somebody has a good runway, we want to capture and maximize that potential, right? Is, you know, I believe that I was a D3 guy. Where would you play, Dan? I played at Davidson College. I'm yeah, sorry. so right up, right up the road here for me, right? You know, I believe in maximizing potential, right? I, I, I wanted to play. Um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to start uh, for four years in D3. And, you know, we won a conference championship and had a ton of fun and a blast and my best friends ever, right? My experience would have been different if I would have walked on someplace. So I, I believe in competing at the highest level you possibly can, but being in the game, right? That's yeah. what I believe in. Mm. Um, but I also, know, I also knew this, about my life. I knew where my career was going to end. Yeah. Right. And even if I didn't know where it was going to end, I knew that it was going to end. And so I always had a view of, you talk about the keys to the kingdom. I always had what I think was a, was a proper and healthy view of what was the kingdom. To me, the field was never the kingdom. It was just the right. playing field at the moment. So I think as coaches, one of the things that we can do is show them that there's a much bigger kingdom than the football field without diminishing the football field in any way. And this is why athletics are so great. I I was just on a podcast the other day and, and I was, I was drawing a comparison to why, like, why do we love sports? Like why, why is football or any sport, right? Why is it, why do we, why, why do a hundred thousand people pile in? Why is it that, you know, Chris, who's, who's your team? Like, who, like, who's the team that you are, like, your allegiance is to that team? Who's yours? Northwestern University, where I play. Northwestern. Okay. So, you know, it doesn't happen a ton because Northwestern plays a certain brand of ball, right? But do you enjoy the games where Northwestern wins 40 to 3, or do you enjoy the games where they win 20 to 17 more? Which one do you win? Which one do you enjoy more? 40 to 3. You enjoy the 40 to three, right? Yeah. But, at a, but at some point, right? At some point, you watch that 40 to three game, the intensity of that game drifts after a while, right? Of course, right. yeah. The, the 20 to 17 game, you are hanging on your seat and you're there. You don't remember many 40 to three games for Northwestern, but I bet you remember the close ones. Of course. Right? Why? Because it's life and death in mm. that moment. Mm. It's mm. life and death. Not real life and death, manufactured life and death. Mm-hmm. Right. right? When... When they win and it's like, it's like we're hanging on the edge, it makes us feel alive. Mm, And when they lose in that moment, like we're, it's like, it feels like we're crushed, right? Like, it's just like, oh. Mm. And so, sports are cool that way, but what happens? When we build the wrong relationship with it, we think it's actual life and death. Mm. Mm -hmm. And this is where young people, young athletes, high school in particular, right? It's like their world ends. Yeah. Or their career ends, whatever. And it's because it's the only kingdom we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And so we, 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 we like all of life, right? There's this, there's this combo of things that we need to hold at the same time that feels like they're opposite ends of the spectrum. I want you to care deeply about your teammates and this game. And I want in football, right? I want you to sacrifice your body. And I, I played, I played high school ball. I think at like 145, I played college ball at 180. I like, you know, I was not winning physical matchups head to head, but (laughs) I was getting in as many as I could, Mm. you know, and I was fortunate. I never had any major serious injuries, but I mean, it was like, it's a big deal, right? Like I played, you know, I was a safety and tailback, like it's sacrificing your body to go take down a 210 pound back. It's dangerous. It Mm. is Mm. like, if if you want safety, don't play football. Like this is how it is. Like, don't play a sport. If you want safety, like this is what it is. Let's make it as safe as we can, but you play football, you're going to get injured. It's just how it goes. Okay. Like we want to sacrifice for that and we want everything. But I, at the same time, at the same time, I need you to understand the world is bigger than football. Yeah. And I need you to understand that who you are is more important than how you perform. Mm -hmm. Are those two linked? Yeah. But they're not the same. Right. And at some point, like I didn't, my, my career ended, you guys ready for this? You guys will appreciate this. We lost in the second round of the playoffs (laughs) Get this, right? Played, I played safety. We gave up 60 yards and zero points mm. in my last college football game, and we lost 14 to seven. Oof. KOR on the opening kick and a sack fumble return, and our, our team turned it over seven times. Our quarterback, my best friend, best man, uh, you got a concussion. I mean, we played the, we played the game of our lives, and we mm. lost, and my career was over. Mm. Boom, right? Mm. I didn't shed a tear. Like I, I got emotional when I saw my parents and like my career was over and this whole journey we'd gone through. I got, I got a little emotional, but like I didn't shed a tear because here's why. Because I had this view of, I love football so much, but football was always going to end. Yeah. And my life was bigger than football. And so I was able to have this, and I extend this out, you know, and I extend this out, you know, out, you know my, my, my dad was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer in April, literally like a week after we shut down um, uh, in covid uh, you know, back in 2020. Yeah. And I always knew to E plus R equals O, right? I always knew the E of somebody getting sick, something like that, like something was going to happen. It was going to be me, my wife, my kids, my dad, my brother, like it was going to be somebody. Um, and when I got that call from my dad, I was like, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is what it was. Like it was my dad. Mm. But my view of death is very similar to in life, right? is very similar to that of football. We were all born. We're all going to die. I am. My dad is everybody. And so, when I look at this stuff, I try to look at these principles and I try to like make them bigger than just what I'm going through mm-hmm. and bigger than just what this moment is. Football has a, a a beginning and an end career-wise. Games have a kickoff and they have a close and somebody wins and somebody loses. My elation is balanced by your, you know, I'm a Buckeye. You were right. We Big 10 championship, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Like, you know, I, I sent Coach Fitz a message after. I'm like, dude, what? Like, I think that was the, one of the best teams he's ever had. Yep. Like, that team was so impressive. Like, yep. so impressive. Um, and so, everything has this, has this, this you know, duality to it, if you will. And I think that if we can teach people how to compete well, whether they're winning or losing, how to compete hard even while they're losing, if we can show them that that the kingdom is not, you know, sweeps and cover two and three technique, right? The kingdom, that, that, that's just a microcosm of life, yeah. which is I think what we always try to do, you know, but I, I think I think showing them that, you know, the deepest stuff is represented in this great game and then showing them and bringing them up to and talking about these bigger pieces, you know, and, you know, what's bigger than life and death, right? Like, mm. I mean, that's the biggest mm. Mm. and i And I think this game is one that uniquely teaches how to process that and then everything that happens in between i I, I think that's what that's a huge part of what this game is for yeah. at least it was for me
2: without a doubt incredible
0: um Brian, switching gears here a little bit, so all three of us we we all had the chance um to become head coaches when we were in our early twenties i was twenty four Dan you were like nineteen i mean <laughs> <laughs> Dan was 24, Chris was in his mid twenties. So, um, and I think a lot of our our listeners are kind of in the same boat. Um, and this also goes back to a coach that you, you, uh, that you mentioned before, like the, say it's, say it's the coach that's when his whole career 15 years, Mm -hmm. the 500 guy that all of a sudden realizes, man, what I'm doing, it's, it's wrong. It's not working. Um, So for that guy coming in the next day, where does he start? And for the for the new coach, the young coach that's coming in and and is just drinking out of a fire hose, where's he start from day one when, when he's going in to to instill leadership and develop his own culture? Where does he start?
1: Well, the, the first thing is I want to make sure I'm clear. The there is everything right and fine with being a 500 coach. It's just don't have a big ego. Right. i right? you know saying like people hear that it's like they're like I'm criticizing average coaches. No, like. Dude, there, there are guys out there, right? And not just football, by the way. Mm-hmm. Volleyball, soccer, men's sports, women's sports, college, there's a ton, right? No problem. But if you're 500 after 15 years, you're not allowed to have an ego. Mm. You're not. Mm. Like, I love you. And if you're here with me and that guy, I'll tell you the same thing. Like, people ask, like, how do you say humble? I'm like, look at my record. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like, come on. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, if you're the head coach at blah, 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 blah. Like there's just a difference between getting a job and being good at it. Mm. Yeah. Getting a job, like a lot of very average idiots get jobs. (laughs) And not even like, I don't mean idiot as in like a character flaw. I just mean like, there's just people who aren't qualified for jobs who have the job. So I don't equate having a job with being good at it. And you know, you guys are in, you guys are in, uh, uh, do you guys work in high schools? I do. These two guys are big shots. Okay. Right. So, so (laughs) I mean, I mean, I mean, have you ever worked in a high school is really what I'm asking. Yes, right? yes. Okay. Okay. So, you know, there's a, there's a huge difference between being good at a job and being good at staying in a job.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Those are different skill sets. Mm. Right. So there's just a lot of people in schools who are, and by the way, banks, accounting firms, etc. So that's the first piece is like, if you're a career 500, that's cool. And that's fine. Cause there's a lot of people where that like going 500 at a school is an achievement, and I love that. Like I love that form of competition of team that's five and five and it's the best team they've ever had. I love that because mm-hmm. you got the, re- high school is hard to win at. It just mm-hmm. is. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is this. Okay. What's the starting point? Let's start with the 15 year person who, or whatever, you know, somebody who's in, who's realizing dang, like I, I'm not sure the, the, the foundation or the structure that I built this on is the right one. Okay. Here's the first piece. Why would somebody not make a change? That's the first question I have to ask myself, right? Because the first question is don't make the same mistake everybody else makes, which mm-hmm. is what? Just keep going down the path I've been right. on and hope it works, right? Why, so why would a coach who is 15-ish years in, why would they not change if it's not worked yet? What's the, because plenty of guys do this. They just keep doing what they've been doing, even though they've seen the information that says, hey, you can do it better. Why would they not change? I'll just fast forward to it. Here's the number one thing. If somebody's 10, 15 years in, and then they realize that there's a different path that that they could be going down, and they decide to make that change, and it's a somewhat wholesale change, if you will, right? It's a big change. It's a philosophical one. Here's what they have to do in their head. We all do this. They have to explain to themselves what they've done for the last 15 years. They have to answer to that. That's tough. Mm. Mm. And what does the ego, if you make, like, if I realize if I've been, you know, if I've been the hard ass coach for 15 years and then all of a sudden somebody's like, Hey, listen, empathy, connection, moving the heart, that's what's real. Like, that's how you get it. So like, you need to be a, you need to be a coach who, who doesn't chew people out as much, but you need to kind of open your, open your heart up a little bit more. Right. Not Mm. be soft, but like you need to learn how to empathize smartly. Mm. And then all of a sudden they decide to really become a different coach. What does that coach say to himself about what he has done for the last 15 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is nobody else really cares about that. But the internal of ourselves and the consistency, that's what we do. So the first piece is this. The first piece, if you're, if, you're, if you're already down the line and I've worked with a lot of coaches who've been that and who've done both, right? Coaches who've made that transition and coaches who have been presented with the opportunity to and then not changed because they don't want to. And this is why. I don't want to be inconsistent.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: There's nothing we, there's nothing the psychology of a person hates more than being inconsistent. This is why all human beings don't change. Why don't husbands change their patterns when presented with a, a better way of engaging in a marriage? Cause they've been that guy for eight years in the marriage. Why doesn't the wife ever change her patterns? Well, she's been that wife for eight years. Next thing you know, I feel like, well, now I'm going to be a different person. What does that mean about what kind of wife I have been? Like, this is what people do. Mm. So the first piece is let go of your ego like if there's a better way, we ask that of players. Mm -hmm. And if we're not going to make that change or we realize the struggle of that change in ourselves, I think it would make you a better coach just to look at yourself that way and then say all those things I feel about change my players are feeling the same thing when I ask them to change.
3: Mm, amazing.
1: If that doesn't help you, if that doesn't help you empathize with your player better, like the the eighth grader who came up playing a certain style of offense and then he comes into your team and now you wanted to play a different kind of offense, but like he's never been comfortable on a football field doing it the way you're asking. He's always been comfortable doing it this other way. Like that's hard for him. The fact that he's 12 doesn't make a difference. Mm. It's hard. It's frankly, it's harder for a 12 year old, I think, than you because the 12-year-old doesn't really know himself yet. Right. You have all this knowledge and like, you have executive function, right? So, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe we don't get it until we're 45 as, as dudes. Like, I don't know, we, we develop <laughs> right. later, I guess. But so that's number one. Uh, number two is for the, for the young and the new coach. <clears throat> um, and I, I'm big on this, right? And this goes for everybody. Um, but the, the dynamic, a, a young coach doesn't have as much of that emotional baggage. They, they can start fresh. So they have a little cleaner slate. They don't have as much consistency to do. They can kind of build, uh, in a way. And that's true for everybody, right. In any, in any walk. So the, the ideal place is build it, build it strong from the start. That's the good, if you're a young coach, like build it strong from the start. So you don't get caught in this, but it's really three things. And, and I talk with these all the time. Number one, it has to be simple. Number two, make it systematic, and number three, build your coaching approach on timeless principles mm. I, I cannot stress this enough. The first two make the obvious sense, and i'll make on the third one I'll, I'll i'll point out why the first piece is simplicity as complexity goes up what hacks what happens to execution becomes more difficult becomes more difficult period that's true everywhere right as right. you' as you're, as you're As your CRM sales system gets more complex in business, the implementation execution goes down. As your game plan gets more complex, the understanding on the staff and your ability to call that game and your players to execute goes down. As your practice plan gets more complex, chaos, (laughs) right, ensues. Mm. So simplicity is the key to execution and simplicity is the key to all forms of execution. If I want to empathize, I need the simplest possible way to do that. Mm. Now, it has to be the simplest way that works right? So that's the, that's the first piece is build everything on simplicity. Number two is you have to make everything systematic. This is where I get on. Like, this is where I get really fired up. You have a system for offense. You have a system for defense. You have a system for special teams. You have a system for practice. What's your system for culture?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: What's your system for leadership?
3: No doubt, man.
1: You say, be mentally tough. What's your system for teaching mental toughness? Like i i hammer these college and pro coaches that i come in and i go listen guys i was talking with this with the, this the seattle mariners right i'm wearing their, their shirt right now I, I hammer them i said listen if you taught pitching the way that you teach leadership you would just bring a new pitching expert in here once every two weeks he would talk for an hour and a half at your team and then you'd say go pitch like that mm. oh, man no doubt No doubt. And you'd be the the worst team in baseball. And I still, I tell the same thing to, you know, every football team I'm in front of. I'm like, look, if you just bring in speakers and have them talk at the team and then give them a book, if you coached any part of the game that way, you would suck. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like you wouldn't expect them to go out and execute in a three hour window, but then you teach mental toughness like that. And then you expect players to make phenomenal decisions at 16 years old in the hardest moments of their life. And then you judge them for being millennials when they don't. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So so if I don't supply, if I don't supply a good system, then I can't expect them to execute well. Mm. If I supply a complex system, I can't expect to execute well. Mm. Right. So simple system. And then the third piece is timeless. And this is the one that I'm really big on. And this is ultimately what I do, um, what I feel like is sort of my unique uh, element of this. The the principles that are the most reliable are the ones that have been around the longest. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: The principles that are the least reliable are the ones that are written in books that were published this year. Because, you know, like Derek, books that were written in the last two or three years, they were designed to do one thing, sell. Mm. Yep. And the ones that sold the best sold because they were popular. Not because they were accurate and effective, mm. but if a book has been around and the content has been around and useful for 500 years, what can we count? What do we know about the information in that book? It's worked across generations, across countries, across wars, across contexts, across societal. Da 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 da. That's why I go back and like you know I, I look at you know, what Epictetus wrote or what Napoleon wrote or what Sun Tzu wrote or whatever. Like if you look at all of these pieces, why are these things still in print? Why are these things still around? Because the principles in them are transcendent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have never changed. But if I read the latest study coming out of Harvard about brain science and communication, like we might find out in four years, none of that was true. Mm. Right. But the book sold 4 million copies right now and it's super popular and everybody's read it and everybody's acting on it. But it hasn't been tested against reality. so when i read um when I read about the Roman army two thousand years ago, and I could do the whole quote, but when I read about the whole Roman army two thousand years ago and somebody writing saying, why were the why were why was the Roman army growing weak? And they say because the soldiers in the Roman army thought the discipline was too intense, the pay was too low, their gear was too heavy, and the leadership was too hard on them. And so what did the young soldiers do? They enlisted in the outskirt auxiliary units where the discipline wasn't intense, the gear wasn't as heavy, and they got paid faster. Mm -hmm. So 2,000 years ago, soldiers in the Roman army, and by the way, put me on the list of people who would not want to have been in the Roman army 2,000 years ago, okay. okay, put me in that list. 2,000 years ago, they thought the discipline was too intense and to avoid that structure and the authority, they would look for areas where the work wasn't as strong or wasn't as intense and they got paid quicker because they had a little instant gratification issue. Mm. Like, who does that sound like? Everybody, <laughs> everybody who's ever existed, but specifically right now, it sounds like all this millennial Gen Z right, stuff right, where they're emphasizing right, right. like somehow this group of sixteen-year-olds is different than the sixteen-year-olds in in totally. Rome two thousand years ago. Totally. I read that and I'm like, oh, they're the same. Mm-hmm. Stop treating them differently. Mm-hmm. And but you know, it's what I it's what I like to say, right? Like if you think kids are entitled today, God bless you. Don't get me wrong, okay, but they didn't entitle themselves. No doubt. So if you're looking for somebody to bring the hammer down on, don't even think about looking at the kids. No doubt.
3: Yep. BK, one of the things that uh, that I think really resonates with me is just kind of the intentionality behind the way people communicate in language, specifically with coaches. Um, I had an experience that I think it was kind of like a aha moment for me. And now I played for an amazing <laughs> culture coach, like Pat Fitzgerald. Is amazing. He uh, culture is established, but culture, leadership, like these are kind of buzzwords. Like I'll say, you know, amongst the three of us, we talk about it all the time. Like we kind of despise the word culture in a way because like it's so overused and overwrought. Um, But one of the things that I remember specifically as a 20 year old kid was uh, a coach at Northwestern. We were in the middle of a game and a player Mm -hmm. was about to go out onto the field and play in the game. And he was not a starter by any stretch of the means, but it, it was an important moment. And right before he went out, that coach's direction to him was don't embarrass me. And I remember in my own head saying to myself, you just embarrassed yourself by saying that, you know, to that, yeah. coach, that coach. Can you talk a little bit about like kind of the way that coaches communicate and, and, and how valuable that is to, to sustaining culture, to sustaining leadership, and then really reinforcing the principles that you believe in?
1: Yeah, it, it's funny, Chris, because I, I had a similar experience. It wasn't with me, um, but I, I did always laugh as a DB if I missed a tackle. The coach would yell, "Make the tackle!" <laughs> right? I, I always, I always laughed at that. I always laughed at that fine coaching point yeah. I received, right? Well, the, uh, Especially when it was in harder. the game. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. But, but I, I can remember, uh, and I can I can remember our head coach in college, Uh our our quarterback is my best friend. I can literally remember him walking on the field, and and I was a I'm a couple years older than him, so he was a freshman. Uh, and a sophomore the two years we played together mm. i can remember our head coach saying right before we walk on the field he call the play and then he was like he was like almost at the hash and he yelled at him he goes schaefer what and he goes don't throw a pick <laughs> <laughs> and we like we still laugh about that today like thank you uh you know like or like or like in my head back of my head like oh good reminder coach yeah. <laughs> if you didn't say that i might have you know right so i just had my own experience with that so so um yeah. You're right. You know, intentionality, there's, there's three things that we have. Uh, when you think about human beings, there's, there's only three ways that we can experience somebody else. Mm. And that's through the attitude that we express. And that is something that we feel that it's through the actions that we do, which is what we see. And then it's through the words that we say, which is how we hear. Maybe. So you think about it right now, right? You know, everybody, everybody listening. All you can hear from me is my words, but also everybody listening can feel an attitude from me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, we don't know how that happens or why, but for whatever reason, the tone of my voice, the expression, the energy in it, the speed, you pick up energy, right? And for you listening right now, like you either like that energy or you don't. Mm -hmm. Like that energy either meets you in a good place or it doesn't. And there's nothing I can do to make everybody like my energy. I got to bring the energy that I think, and this is Chris, what we're talking about, I need to bring the energy on purpose and intentionally that tries to deliver an experience to you that I want you to have and meet me at. Mm. Now if I'm skilled at that, I can do that in some flexible ways while staying true to who I am. If I'm not skilled at that, I am fixed, I'm stuck in default mode and I've got one way of expressing energy And either it works or it doesn't. And if it works, great. We're singing from the same hymn book. But if it doesn't, like there's conflict. Mm -hmm. And we've all been around somebody, right? Who kind of had low energy uh, or or kind of that methodical approach. And maybe it didn't map and vibe with us, but it worked really well at certain times, right? Like they're always a person going, hold on, let's slow down and think about this. The cautious kind of energy, right? And then we've also been around the high energy person who like the juice guy, right? And everyone knows the juice guy. And the juice guy is fun. Sometimes. Right. Sometimes. Right. But when the juice guy is not the fit for the moment, it's disaster. Right. So, um, so when I think about how we communicate, I don't tie just to words. Um, and obviously I'm somebody who does a lot of video podcasts. I'm on stage a lot. Um, that the words are not the most important piece to me Mm. because I can get all the right words you can get all the right words. Mm. Plenty of people get all the right words. What matters the most to delivering the experience is what people feel and see from you. Yeah. And as coaches, what are we, and even in today's social media world, right? Where, where we can display what's, what's our default tendency as coaches between attitude, action, and words. What's the default thing we go to when we want somebody to do what we're wanting them to do. What do we, what do we drift to right away?
3: Words. Words.
1: We drift right to Words right and at the press conferences when coaches are coming out right they talk about culture and what do they use words and that's why culture historically has overpromised and underdelivered mm-hmm. i am firmly in the camp of people and in again if you're in a if you're in a room with me with coaches and, you know when you hear me like unless you're going to do all the things that culture requires stop saying it mm-hmm. right don't even use the word anymore mm-hmm. right um because I know if I come in and I'm doing a keynote on culture or, you know, a, a coaching staff hires me to come in and teach culture, here's what I know walking in. I know 50% of that room thinks that what I'm about to say is worthless. Mm. And I, you know what? I I don't blame them at all because you know why? If I've been coaching for 20 years and I've been through as many culture transformations as those coaches have been through, how many have been successful? Right. Barely any. Yep. So their track record is not great. So I wouldn't expect any cred. So for me, I, I look at the words are the easy part and it's what a lot of coaches are doing. I think, I think trying to make sure we're getting all of the right words and making that the primary focus, Chris. I think that is a way to secure ourselves on the mountain of average and kind of get caught up feeling like every other coach. Love it. But if we can match, marry, and align our attitude, our action and our words we've immediately put ourselves into much much rarer crowds Mm. wow yeah Mm. very few people and by the way by the way that's not just true of coaching like human beings no doubt. like if you can marry your attitude your action and your words and it's not a complex i mean you think about this this is what every this is what every religion has tried to teach people this is what every text (laughs) has tried to teach me it's whatever it's saying what integrity. It's where we, it's, it's what the word integrity means. Integrity is not being right. It's not being good. It's not being ethical. It's not being any of those things. Those words do fine like discipline. Integrity is something different. Integrity means to be whole and to be aligned. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking at you guys and I obviously I don't know you guys that well. Right. But Dan and Derek and Chris, like we're not the same. I promise you come live with me for a month. and You're gonna be like, Oh, that guy does some things that are not like how I would do it right? Like that's just you would, right? Like, you know, like, oh, he drinks bourbon and I don't drink. Okay. Like whatever, right? Like, or, you know, oh, he says a cuss word every now and then. I don't believe that. It. And it's like, whatever. But the point is this, the point is, it's not about Dan, you aligning with my beliefs, right? It's about you and your attitude, your action and your words. Do those three things match up in a way where you are whole and complete for who you say you are and who you want to be and the experience you want to deliver. Mm, And if you are, you are a man of integrity. If you and I happen to disagree on some things, that doesn't mean you and I have more or less integrity. It just means that we're living by some different principles. And if we're coaching on the same staff, and this is where I think it starts to get tricky, bring it back to sports. When we're coaching on the same staff or we're, we're, we're working with players, this is where I think people screw culture up the most. Is they try to create the same people. Mm. Yeah. They try to get everybody to buy into the exact same principles and be the same person. And more often than not, they try to make them a reflection of who they are.
3: Which yeah. goes back to obedience and discipline.
1: Right. And at the end of the day, Chris, I don't want you to be me. Right. I'm better at it. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Uh, but also I don't want to be you because here's why. I'm not going to make you try to be me, because here's why. If you tried to make me be you, that would not feel good for me. Mm, So I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you to be you, Derek, you to be you, Dan, you to be you. And if we're on a team, here's what we're going to do. Be you, align with us.
2: Yeah, that's Mm. good.
1: Right? Like there's six or seven, maybe three, whatever core beliefs that we are going to revolve around. They're non-negotiable, right? If you're going to be on this team, you got to believe in these things and you got to hold these standards. But outside of that, be who you are. Yeah. I don't care who you vote for, who you pray to, who you want to be in a relationship with, What, right? As long as you are aligned with us, let's go, mm-hmm, right? Yep. You can listen to different music. I don't care. It doesn't matter because not, I'm not trying to build your life for you. I'm trying to help you build the life you're trying to live. But on the team, we've got to have some shared commitment to some things. And so knowing where our line for our culture is and then recognizing that when, when is our culture best? Our culture is best when we have different people, with different points of view, different approaches, bring in the best they have. Cause I, my approach isn't best. My approach works sometimes.
3: Hmm.
1: And if I got four people on here and we got four different styles, here's a safe way to do it. My style is best 25% of the time. Yep. But there's 75 other percents of time where I need your contribution that you uniquely bring. Yeah. That like, that's an awesome culture. And Man. also that, That's the kind of culture that people want to be around. No doubt. And the people who don't want to be around that kind of culture, I don't want to be around them. And they stick out like a sore thumb and I want to help them go join the people I have to compete against. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Right. Like, like if you're a complainer, I'm like this, my man, like I'm all good, but we don't complain here ever. Right. We don't blame we Don't get defensive. Right. And if you want to, here's what I'll help you do. I will help you find a team where you can do that as much as you like preferably a team that we that's compete right. against because I would love for you to go join one of our competitors. Right. <laughs> right. right. And if you're one of those coaches, please go join our rival. Please bring this energy over to them. Mm. You know, like that's just, I don't think it makes them a bad person at all and I'll never judge them, but we are going to have our shared standards. And as long as you align with our shared standards, you get to be whoever you want.
3: Yeah. yeah
0: amazing. Well, I'm going to jump in because I think you're about to answer my last question <laughs> here. Um, so, I mean, what, what we're trying to create here is just just a place where we're giving coaches tools through interviews with guys like yourself and coaches around the country where they can curate their own methods and their own culture. Because like I said before, culture is different for everybody. It's It's different for everybody. There's not a copy paste. But, and you touched on it before, there are these standards that are transcendent. So what are those non, if you had to pick some, and it's a tough question, but what are those non-negotiables?
1: Well, I mean, you look at what, what's involved that you look at what what can we not skip in the sport or in coaching, right? So the first is uh, you have to establish what your standards are. Like you have to, if you don't establish standards, um, then who does?
3: Mm. Right. Players.
1: The, like the group. Right. I mean, it's not even just the players either, right? I mean, shoot, if we're talking high school, the parents will establish the standards.
3: Mm.
1: Right. Right. Good luck. Right. Or the players will, or the administration will, or society will, or whatever like and like the mountain of average and, and the next thing, you know, people without skin in the game are going to establish the standards. Let me give an example of a, a very specific thing for coaches to avoid this. Coaches ask me all the time, should I involve my players in the creation of our culture and are choosing our culture standards? And the answer is absolutely not. Do not involve the players. Because here's why. If the culture doesn't work are the players going to step up and take responsibility for the failure of the culture? No, 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 they are not. No. Should you involve the parents? No, No. Nope. Okay. You should not. Should you involve your other coaches? Maybe the guys that you trust really deep, but here's the point. The point is the person who has skin in the game, who is going to be responsible for the success or the failure of it. That's the person who owns the creation of the standard.
3: Yeah. Amazing.
1: Yep. And, and if, with, with, if you got a guy that's your, that's your guy and you trust him and he's there and you're, you get, okay, then, then you bring that in, right? Because that guy's going to own it with you. But if you got like a, just a guy on the staff and you bring it in, and he's like, well, I think we should do this. He's just putting his comments in because he wants his opinion considered and he wants to feel like he's contributed. But if it doesn't work out and people just have to, he's not going to come up and be like, hey, you know, that was really me. I contributed that. So, you know, I should be the one to lose my job because I was the one who really, really fought for that. That's not going to happen. So, so, and then plus players rotate right? Players, players rotate out. And unless you have a transcendent athlete who commands all of it, you know, it's got to be owned. So the first piece is you have to establish your standard because a standard will get established. If you don't, somebody else will, and that person will not take responsibility for it. That's number one. Number two is, uh, the entire game and the entire, uh, uh the entire performance and execution is built on relationships. Mm. Everything. Yeah. Yep. And that gets lip service uh, a lot of times. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that breaks my heart is I, I ask coaches what's been the most meaningful part of, of uh, your, your career, you know, the guys who've down the line. And the answer every single time, I mean, every time is relationships, yep. right? But when we look at how they act in the moment, look at how many things get prioritized above relationships and what goes into them. Right, we scheme, we game plan, we we scout, we we do all these different things. Again, and I love the depth of the game. Don't get me wrong, but we don't put in equal development time to building the relationship, getting better at those relationship dynamics, as we do going to uh, uh, clinics. That's so true.
3: That's so true. Like,
1: like, like. I don't know if you've ever been to a three day clinic on emotions and how to (laughs) and how to use emotions. (laughs) right to you know how to how to deal with winning how to deal with losing how to deal with uncertainty how to deal with the player who has a big ego who's very good who you know has a lot of potential but you don't like him mm. yeah right a very real thing right this player is really good but he rubs me the wrong way like i i just legit don't like this dude and i can't like him by choice so every coach who's ever coached has cuz we've been that guy at some time for some coach right so so this is the big thing. Like if if I pull this book up back here uh, um, called Roots of Strategy, I think it's volume three. There's a a French general from like three or four hundred years ago, de Saxe, and he said this. He said, the defining trait, and I've talked about this a lot of places, but the defining trait of a general is the ability to move the human heart, right? Again, this is the French army Mm -hmm. four or five hundred years ago, whatever it was, okay? The defining trait of a general is the ability to move the human heart. A commander, a sergeant, or any other rank can have any number of skill sets, but only a general can be effective because the difference between a sergeant who can organize people and a general is that a general knows what makes an army go and perform. And that is the ability to move the human heart because there's nothing more variable day to day than the courage of a man. Wow. Wow. So I read that and I'm like, okay. Here is an environment where it's life or death, and here's an environment where it's like super technical war kind of stuff, right? And I'm not I'm not using military as my example, right? Because because by the way, <laughs> you notice, right? The 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 at that time in the in the French army, right? The the general might have understood the, the the human heart, but 500 years ago, those sergeants they worked on obedience, compliance, and branding. Okay, <laughs> like like it was a brutal environment. Okay, right so what 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 captured for me was this it's the same defining trait for coaches today look at the best coaches in the game who are winning championships again and again and again what's the one common thread is there any commonality between dabo's personality nick saban's personality lincoln riley's personality and urban Meyer's personality like are those three are those th- four guys like pretty much just like each other? No. No, no, definitely not. No. Not at all. What what is each one of those guys uniquely capable? Are, are any of those guys football savants who are just football smarter than everybody else in the world?
2: Maybe Lincoln. No, I'm just right? saying. <laughs> but here's the point,
1: right?
3: We're like offensive maybe, guys here.
1: <laughs> people talk about this, right? People are like, oh well, maybe Lincoln or maybe Saban. Like, but look, like I played football. You play football. Lincoln is smart, right? But Leach is smart too. Uh, Totally. Yeah. But Leach doesn't move the human heart. Mm. Right? Like there's a lot of football guys who are really smart. There's a lot of dudes came off Saban's tree. A lot of dudes came off Belichick's tree. Right. What is Nick? People don't understand Nick Saban. Do you know what Nick Saban's number one, most unique trait and why he has the greatest college football program of all time? He sets higher standards and he moves the human heart better than anybody else in college football.
2: Yeah, no
1: doubt. And nothing about his personality looks like it does that, but that's what his program runs on. And that's why all the dudes who come through, they try to mimic what they see, but they don't copy and do the thing that is unique, which is the standard setting, the moving the human heart. That's why he recruits better. He recruits on Mm self-interest. He doesn't recruit on compliance. People think he does.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: you don't get a five star to sit behind two other five stars on compliance. Everybody right. would be doing that. He captures their heart. He looks right in here and he's like, what do you want? He finds out what that is. And then he goes in my program, I can get you that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. And he came out yeah. and said it this year. He Amazing. said, I don't know if you guys heard, he said uh, before the national championship, he, and he, and it was the first time I've heard him say it, but he said the entire purpose of his program, I don't know if you guys, did you guys catch what he said? The entire purpose of his program is to better the lives of the guys who come through it. Yep. Mm. That was it. Mm. Yep. Our our job is to better your life because you came through here. That's money. That's NFL, That's structure, that whatever that is, right? He doesn't care. The point is if you believe in that, you'll do whatever I need you to do. Mm -hmm. So those are the two things is, is if you can move the heart and you can set standards, right? you know, in college, you're going to be able to recruit so well, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to be able to get those recruits to do things nobody else can do. In college football, there's only two things you need to be good at to win championships. that is, you have to recruit well and you have to build culture well. You're not going to win on scheme in college football. Mm. And you can compete really, really well. You know, Northwestern's a great example, right? Northwestern is a phenomenal football team and they have a phenomenal culture, right? But the talent gap is just too big for certain programs. Sure. To, to compete at the certain level. Right. And it becomes obvious when they line up and, and go on that. And so talent in college football is a different thing than in, you know, the NFL, the NFL, it's different equity distributions, but in college football, you have to have talent to compete at the highest level. Right. And, but having that talent has never really worked. It's mm. just as likely to implode your team as it would be to make your team. Mm. Right. Right. And if you have culture, you can win, you can win a lot. But you're going to have a ceiling in terms of where you compete because talent is very real. If you have talent and you have culture, you can be, if you're 10 out of 10 in both of those, you can be seven out of 10 in scheme and win your conference championship three or four out of five years. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. That's just how it is. Mm. Um, Pros is going to be a little bit different, but those trends are going to stay the same. So, when I look at that, move the human heart, know how to set standards. And now all of a sudden, you bring those two things those are the non-negotiables. Obviously, there's other stuff like competing and in intensity, et cetera. But I think those are the two gateways. Like it's the heart and it's the standards.
3: Love it. Incredible.
1: Love
0: well, it. BK, we want to be respectful of your time, man. We truly appreciate you uh, sitting down with us. Um, to all of our listeners, um, if you haven't, uh, and we will make sure to link his uh, newsletter and new podcast, The Daily Discipline. Um, In the show notes and on Twitter, Uh, make sure to check that out. But once again, man, we truly appreciate it. Um, Hope we can keep this conversation going um, down down the road on another episode.
1: And I love uh, it. I'll I'll come back for episode 300. How's
3: that Let's go. Once again,
0: guys, thanks for tuning in to episode three of the Coaches Collective.